WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simply portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Everyone here has a past. And it's a past that's lined with all kinds of problems, bumps and bruises along the way, difficulties, crises, attitudes of sin, problems that we never thought we would get through. And as we look back at our past and reflect how God has worked in our past, you're going to be greatly encouraged how God has worked out those problems and he mercifully gave us victory. Now, what I want to encourage you to do is write down how God is working in your life. Not not right now, but write down as a lifestyle. Make a journal. Back in my college days, one of my favorite singers was Andre Crouch, and he had a song called My Tribute, and the first verse says this, How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me, things so undeserved yet you gave to prove your love for me? The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be I owe it all to thee. But can we remember what those things were that we were so grateful for? Well, we can if we write them down. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying from Nehemiah about the characteristics of a biblical revival. One of those characteristics is that it's personal. Let's listen as Pastor Steve expands on that truth. If you want a fresh beginning with God, go back to the first step, and that is personal revival. That's personal revival. That's confession of sin. And we're talking about attitudes, not just action. We're talking about uh, all those things that would be sin. Confess your sin to God today. Don't let another day go by because you could wake up tomorrow and not sense the, the pricking action of the Holy Spirit. The writer to the Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your heart. If today there's a sensitivity to your sin, then confess it today. Tomorrow may be too late. And you're destroyed in the Christian life. So confess your sin to God. The second step to personal revival is reflect on God's compassion. Reflect on God's compassion. Notice Nehemiah chapter five, uh, chapter nine, rather, verses five and six. Then the Levites uh, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Pethahiah said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Oh, may thy glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou alone art the, God, art the Lord. Thou hast made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that's in them. Thou dost give life to all of them and the heavenly host bows down before thee. So after confessing their sins to God, several Levites who were leaders in the congregation call the people to praise the Lord and they call the people to exalt them. That's what they're doing. They say, arise, stand up and let's praise the Lord and let's exalt him. And they lead the, the people in a prayer that first of all, praises God as the creator. And that's, um, that's what we just read. Then, secondly, from verses 7 through 31, which we, we won't read all of these, uh, what they do, and this is the, the thrust and the brunt of the chapter, 
What they do is they lead the people in a prayer that rehearses and traces the history of the Jewish nation and God's dealings with his chosen people. That's, that's what this chapter is about. So rather than go through each verse, which you'll be very thankful for, rather than going through each verse, I think it would be most beneficial that we get the overall purpose of this prayer. If we're going to apply it to our lives, what's the purpose of this? After all, we're not Old Testament Israel. It's really not our past. In one sense, it's not. What is the purpose of this prayer? How can you apply it to your life? The purpose, the overall purpose of of this prayer is not simply to give a history lesson. That's not what they're interested in. But they want the Jewish people to reflect on how compassionate God has been with them in his dealings over the years. Notice, for example, how many times the word give, meaning God who was compassionate and gave them something, is mentioned in this prayer, is used here. Notice verse 7, and I'll just read a few of these verses. Thou art the Lord God who chose Abraham, who brought him up from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. God was compassionate. He chose the man. He founded the nation. And he gave him a name. And he gave him a, a, a seed and so forth. Notice verse 8. And thou didst find his heart faithful before thee. Thou didst make a covenant with him and give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, the Amorite, of the Perizzite, the Jebusite, the Gershite, to give it to his descendants, for thou hast fulfilled thy promise, for thou art righteous. God called a man named Abram. He gave him a new name, he gave him a land. How compassionate. Verse 13, notice these people, what they did to God. Then thou didst come down on Mount Sinai and didst speak with them from heaven. Thou didst give to them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So he took this people, not only did he give them a land, but he gave them his law. He gave them his commandments, so it's not a guessing game. Verse 15, thou didst provide bread from heaven for them for their hunger. He's just going through, if you've read the Old Testament, that's what this is about. Thou didst bring forth water from a rock for them from their, for their thirst. And thou didst tell them to enter in order to possess the land which thou didst swear to give them. So he gave them bread, he gave them water, he gave them a land. He, gave, he provided for them in the wilderness wanderings. Notice verse 16. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. Now, here's where it gets very interesting. God is so compassionate, but what happens when they acted arrogantly? Would God still be compassionate? Because remember, the people are confessing their sin. If God wasn't compassionate in the past with those who sinned in the nation, he's not going to be compassionate right now. But if he is, then that's a wonderful encouragement. Verse 16, but they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to thy commandments. And they refused to listen and did not remember thy wondrous deeds, which thou hadst performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But thou art, notice this, but thou art a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And thou didst not forsake them, even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. That, uh, thou, in thy great compassion, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of clouds did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. And thou didst give thy, thy good spirit to instruct them. Thy manna thou didst not withhold from their mouth, and thou uh, didst give them water, 
for their thirst. Indeed, 40 years they, thou didst provide for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. Thou didst also give them kingdoms and peoples, and thou didst allow them, uh, allot them to, to them as a boundary. And they took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You see what, he's, what they're saying? We've acted so arrogantly in the past. We've spurned God's love, but he's so compassionate. He fed us. He took care of us. He guided us in spite of our sin. He was good to us. He brought us into the land. He, he gave us boundaries. He gave us his spirit. Uh, all of these things. God, God is good. Verses 26 and 27. But they became disobedient and rebelled against thee. That's again they did this. That is, by the way, the history of Israel. They were not mostly obedient, most of their history. They were not nice but naughty a few times. No, most of the time, the majority of the time, they were disobedient. Notice verse 26. They became disobedient, rebelled against thee, and cast thy law behind their backs. Imagine, they just cast the law behind them. We don't care. It's just behind us. And killed thy prophets who had admonished them so they might return to thee, and they, and they, comforted, and they committed great blasphemies. Verse 27, therefore thou didst deliver them into the hands of their oppressors who oppressed them. But when they cried to thee in the time of their distress, thou didst hear from heaven and according to thy great compassion, thou didst give them deliverers who delivered them from the hands of their oppressors. You know what this is? This is the story of the book of Judges. A pattern. When they sinned, God dealt with them in discipline. When they cried out to him, he sent deliverers or, or judges, and uh, then they got away from him, the same thing. And, and on and on it goes. Verse 29. And admonished them in order to turn them back to thy law, yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to thy commandments, but sinned against thine ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he shall live. But they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, thou didst Bear with them for many years and admonish them by thy spirit through thy prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, thou didst give them into the hands of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in thy great compassion, thou didst not make an end of them or forsake them, for thou art a gracious and compassionate God. Do you see what the Levites are doing? They're tracing the history of Israel to say, listen, as you stand here confessing your sin today, be encouraged, because the same God who forgave our people in the past will forgive you. Reflect on God's goodness, God's compassion. He's on your side. He'll take you back. If in the past God met Israel's rebellion with compassion, then certainly in the present, as they cry out to, to him, God will, will be compassionate too. So how does this apply to us? Because I, as I said before, you're sitting there, you're thinking, my history is not Israel. I'm not ancient Israel. That's right. That's right. Now, you could trace back how God has dealt with Israel because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's, and that's good. And that's right. However, as we look back, we do have a past. Whether it's Israel's past or not, everyone here has a past. And it's a past that's lined with all kinds of problems, bumps and bruises along the way, difficulties, crises, attitudes of sin, problems that we never thought we would get through, all kinds of tough situations, all kinds of trials and tribulations. And as we look back at our past and reflect how God has worked in our past, you're going to be encouraged. 
you're going to be greatly encouraged how God has worked out those problems and he mercifully gave us victory. Now, what I want to encourage you to do is write down how God is working in your life. Not, not right now, That's not, but write down as a lifestyle. Make a journal. Now, I want you to listen to this. Many Christians do this much to their profit. They make a journal of God's dealings. A journal is like a diary, but it's more. It's sort of a book that you put not only prayer requests in it, but you write out your prayers to God. You write out your difficulties. You, you, you articulate on paper what you're going through. And you share with God your, perhaps your insight into the word, how God has led you. It could be a time of praise, a time of, of thanks. Great encouragement. Just, um, just last night, Michelle was reading to me from some of the things she wrote out to the Lord back in the 80s. Great encouragement. There were times we went through that we never thought we could get through. There were days we never thought we'd make it. I'm talking about spiritually, emotionally, and sometimes maybe physically. And you know what? I've forgotten about those because you kind of move on. And you go through new problems, which you wonder if you're ever going to make it. But the way you know you're going to make it is you go back to your old problems and say, look what God did. Incredible. He, he was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we thought he could ever do. God is great. God is so good. And I know that right now he can, he can bring me back into that fullness of that relationship that I once enjoyed with him. That, that's what this is about. Now, journaling is very important. And uh, you might wonder, is there a biblical precedent for this? Or is this something that Christians are doing and uh, kind of a pragmatic thing? No, I think there's a biblical precedent for this. And let me tell you, many of the Psalms are the inspired journals of David's personal journey with God. That, that's what the, the Psalms are a journal. Now, this is more than just a quiet time. It's more than just writing in Bible answers. This is actually your own psalm to the Lord. David just opened his heart to God. God, you know, my oppressors are around me. Saul's after me. There are people who hate me, but you're so good. And I think those were great encouragements to David to look back and sing those songs to the Lord. That's what they really were, songs. And you don't have to sing it to the Lord if you want. It's fine, but... Uh, the book of, also, the book of Lamentations is really a journal, an inspired journal of Jeremiah's feelings about the fall of Jerusalem. It's what they are. I think the most important function of a journal is that it helps us to remember God's dealings and workings in our lives. Believe me, you will not remember. I hardly can remember yesterday, let alone what happened years ago. The psalmists speak of this. Psalm 77, verse 11. Listen to this. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. But let me tell you, if you don't write it down, you won't remember it. Because there are very few big, big things in our lives. I mean, getting married is a big thing. You don't forget that. Getting a house is a big thing. Getting a car is a big thing. Getting a new job is a big thing. But life is not made up normally of those things happening all the time. Those are kind of mountain peaks in our lives. Life is made up of mundane things in which God works in our lives and brings us through them. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. This is great. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You kind of want to sing it, don't you? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. But I'm telling you, if you don't write it down, you're going to violate that scripture because you're going to forget his benefits. You're going to forget his benefits. 
You cannot reflect on God's grace and mercy in your life unless you remember it. And we won't remember most of it if we don't write it down. It was Francis Bacon who said, if a man write little, he, he need have a great memory. If you don't write much, you better have a great memory. Better have a great memory. Here's the testimony of one woman who started a journal. This uh, was written by Lucy Shaw, who is the widow of the late Christian publisher, Harold Shaw. I quote, all my life I've thought I should keep a journal, but I never did until a few years ago when the discovery that my husband Harold had cancer suddenly plunged us into the middle of an intense learning experience facing things we'd never faced before. Confronted with agonizing decisions, we would cry out to the Lord, where are you in the middle of this? It suddenly occurred to me that unless I made a record of what was going on, I would forget the events, details, and the people of those painful days uh, could easily become a blur. So I started to write them down. I just want to urge you to do this. No matter what age you are, start writing a journal. I got into this a few years ago and I have to say that I have not been particularly faithful since my last entry was uh, last April. <laughs> I noticed that this week. And uh, so I, um, I thought, you know, I better practice what I preach and I started going back to it. But I, I started reviewing what God, what God had done and, uh, you know, I forgot. I really forgot how great God had, had worked in my life. And I Problems that I had, difficulties and uh, things that I was going through. And, and in fact, I wrote out these things to the Lord and basically said to him, I don't know how you're going to work this out. I, I, don't, I don't know how to work this out. You know, every one of those things were worked out. Scheduling problems, ministry problems, decisions I had to make. Every one of those things were worked out. I had forgotten a, a great deal of that. And so uh, I, I want to just say publicly that I've, so you can hold me accountable, I've recommitted myself to uh, my journal. And actually my latest entry is of a few days ago. But before that it was last April. But uh, I, I want to do that because it's wrong of me to tell you to do that if I, don't, if I don't do that. I think the word in principle teaches that. Unless you've got a great memory. I don't have a great memory on a lot of things. I can remember baseball statistics, but I can't remember a lot of this other, other stuff. And so uh, I want to encourage you. You don't have to get a book that's fancy. Just get any book and start writing it. It's, it's your special journal. And I'm telling you, it'll greatly encourage your heart because you'll praise the Lord for how he's worked, th worked out things in your, in your lives. And it'll, it'll encourage you for other things. So what does journaling, journaling have to do with personal revival? After all, that's what we're talking about. Journaling provides the avenue for you to reflect on how compassionate God has been with you in the past. It's a praise the Lord situation. You see, it's not that he just worked in Israel's past, but he's worked in your past. You have a past. And God has never let us down. And when you see that, when you see that in black and white, and you write it down, uh, you, you see that, that God is compassionate. He'll not abandon you. As you confess your sin, you're coming back to him. And God is merciful, and he's going to bring you back into a healthy walk with him. You, you know that he'll continue to be gracious to you. So I urge you to do that. You know, he loves you, and we need to be reminded of this. We need to remember what God has done in our past. It's a great encouragement to reflect on how good God has been. And he will restore you to spiritual vitality.
Now, I want us to, to stop here at this, at this time because uh, I have about uh, three more pages of notes to do, and I don't want to keep you too late. But I want us to think about this as we, as we reflect on this chapter. What, what can you do specifically in, in the steps of revival? You have to, you have to wait a, a little while till you know the whole thing of revival. I'll just mention the other steps to you. We mentioned reflect on God's compassion. First of all, confess your sin to God. Secondly, reflect on God's compassion. When, when we deal with this chapter again, we're going to see accept God's discipline in your life. Accept it. Don't get annoyed at God. Accept his discipline. And then the, the fourth step is that each of us needs to commit ourselves to obedience. Get back to your first love. Commit yourself to obedience. But uh, for right now, we need to just reflect and meditate quietly before the Lord with, with, with heads bowed, our eyes closed. Have you strayed from the Lord? Is there something you need to confess? Agree with God. Call it what God calls it. Don't call it what psychiatry may call it. Don't call it what modern man may call it. Call it what God calls it. Because otherwise, you can never be relieved of your guilt. God's provided a way that we walk with him in the light and that is to let the word expose our sin. Hey, you know, we all have sin. No one need feel like um, if they do it that they're the only ones. We, we've all gone through this. There's some break in fellowship between you and another believer. It's never God's will, never God's will that that's not restored. Never. God doesn't leave things dangling. You've sinned against somebody, go to them. They've sinned against you, they need to go to you. If you feel like they've sinned against you, you've got to go to them. Or if you've sinned against them, you've got to go. In either case, you've got to go to them. Confess it. If you've had a rotten attitude, maybe nobody knows about it. Just a rotten attitude. But you know about it. And God knows about it. Confess your sin to Him. Agree, not only that it's wrong, but that you repent of it. We do that, otherwise you're going to grow callous. Secondly, Reflect on God's compassion. Would you start a journal? Your life will be so enriched. Would you today, tomorrow, get a book, make it your journal? It's just your private thing. You don't necessarily share that with, with anybody else. It's just between you and the Lord. Open your heart to Him. It'll help you as you write things out to really articulate what you're thinking. Just be open with Him. Share with Him your problems. Don't let others see it unless you want them to. But then from time to time, go back and read it. And my, you will have praise for God. Because He really is wonderful. And sometimes we forget just how wonderful He is. He's led you in the past. He'll lead you again. If you've sinned, you'll see how compassionate He is. And He who is so compassionate will bring you back into the relationship that you want. Do you need reviving today? Then follow these steps. Don't let your pride stand in the way. We say to those who may not know Jesus Christ, confession of sin is the first step to coming to Christ for salvation. It's recognizing that you have sinned. That's not your parents' fault that you do what you do. It's yours. You're responsible for God, to God. And Christ died for those sins. So the forgiveness you need is salvation. It's judicial forgiveness, not parental. You don't know God as your father yet. You know him as the creator. You need to come to him and confess your sin 
and trust Jesus Christ as your sin bearer. I try to journal when I'm on a missions trip or something like that, but you know what? I think I might just do it on a more regular basis now after hearing this message. Maybe you'd like to do that as well. Our time is running out quickly, so let me just say thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff has just concluded another sermon in his series from Nehemiah about the characteristics of a biblical revival. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For information about Lakeside, call 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. At Verse by Verse, we're thankful for the generous listeners who pray and give in order to help keep Verse by Verse on the air. If you'd like to be a part of that vital team, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 to find out how to give. Or you can use our secure and convenient giving page found at versebyverseradio.org. Also convenient is the Message Archive page where you can stream or download all of our previous broadcasts. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Over the past two